Go wild with Nation Gear's end of regular season merch madness sale. Nation Gear is offering our favorite fans 20% off all regular season merch. And we're going to give you free shipping on any orders over $200. Stock up your closet for the playoffs. Rep your team and grab that merch you've been eyeing up all season long. Don't wait. This sale only lasts from April 1st until April 7th. Shop the sale at nationgear.ca. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Puck Poolies Podcast with Matt Larkin and Stephen Ellis. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Puck Poolies presented by ProLine Plus. It's Matt Larkin here, as always, with Stephen Ellis. Stephen, I know you're you're making a move lately in a literal sense. You've got a new home. Are you all settled? It looks like there's it's still kind of cluttered in the background. What's going on with the move? Yeah, still trying to move a lot of stuff. Uh, I'm uh, also dealing with a really nice window that uh, has no blinds or anything, so it's just shining completely in my eyes. Uh, so it's that, but otherwise, uh, I can't complain. It's kind of nice right now that, you know, the, it's kind of ironic that the Stanley Cup final is the part where there's just the lowest amount of hockey going on, so just globally. Uh, so it's kind of just like the Stanley Cup final feels like a rest right now, and it helps that the games haven't been very close, and after about a period, you kind of figure out who's already won the game. Yeah, that's true. You're right about the rest feeling because I'm I'm always saying, oh, this is the busiest month of the year. And like it will be, but the schedule is so weird this year that it's all just going to be squished. So instead of like nonstop craziness in June, it's going to be just absolute insanity at the end of the month. When we're in Nashville, we will be, I'm sure, doing a show from Music City. But that's still a few weeks away. So we're going to dive into this episode. And we are starting to shift into off-season mode, even though, yes, there are two teams still playing once every 10 friggin' days or whatever it is. Uh, but I want to look into some burning questions as we enter the off-season because there is a fantasy-relevant angle to a lot of the movement. So that's going to be our main theme today. And uh, let's fire off some of those burning questions. What do you got, Steve? All right. Let's start with the first one. Who will be this Buffalo Sabres starting goaltender? I know it's interesting. We talked about it briefly a couple episodes ago. Or, you know, there's Devin Levi's there, but Eric Comrie's there. Ukebeka Luokinen's there. Uh, could they bring someone else in? I think it's going to be kind of an interesting situation for what Buffalo does. Yeah, I think it's actually a very fantasy-relevant question because we know the Buffalo Sabres took a huge leap forward. They were knocking on the door of the playoffs. They were extremely fertile for fantasy hockey. They had such a great offense this year. And what they're missing is that goaltender to put them over the top. A lot of people believe that Devin Levi is that person. I think you and I both do as well. At the same time, as I've said before, you got to look at the Spencer Knight cautionary tale. You can't just anoint a prospect ready to be a star right away. You have to make sure there's some support for him as well. So it's going to be a defining move of the offseason here for Levi's future, for his fantasy value, what Buffalo does. Do you go with a tandem of Ukapeka Lukanen and Devin Levi, or is that too inexperienced? I could see Buffalo wanting to bring in a veteran to sort of form an apprenticeship with Levi as your 1B and see if he can win the job. And I know there have been some people clamoring for a Connor Hellebuck to Buffalo trade, but if you do that, then it skews almost so far that Hellebuck is such a workhorse, he's going to want to play 65 games and you won't get much action at all for Levi. So I'm wondering if there's like kind of a happy medium, a different like lower level veteran maybe they could bring in. But it's a situation that has to be watched very carefully because if Levi is the unquestioned starter going into next season, then he becomes a huge breakout candidate in fantasy. 
I think he won't be the starter after the first month, and that's not a bad thing. I think it's just, you know, we've seen it a lot of times before, and including with Spencer Knight. You know, he had a pretty solid end of the season. Uh, you know, he was helping Canada win the World Championship. He got a couple games with the Sabres. He obviously had a great college season, so we know how good that Devin Levi can be. Um, but he was kind of just riding the wave of the momentum. Like, nothing could go wrong for him. He was doing so much um, in such a short span. Now he's got this long break, and then he's got his first initial training camp, and it's a grueling start to a season he has not had to deal with at any kind of level to this extent. Um, so I do expect that maybe it might be a bit of a slow start. And, and maybe, again, it's tough to know what they're going to do with the, the team this summer because they do have already three NHL-caliber goalies at minimum. Um, and, and, you know, like Malcolm Subban was very good in the AHL this year. Not that I think that that really... Um, goes into anything here but you got to look at what you're going to be able to do with Lou Okunin. you still have Carmery for a deal here so you got to figure this out and bringing a new contract up for a new player obviously messes that all up but if the Sabres are serious about winning um you know you got to go and get someone at the same time I'm looking at this and saying maybe you still ride these young guys because next year's not going to be your year you're still trying to build into that future and give your full opportunities to your young guys to go out there make mistakes and learn from them and get better and push each other and maybe that's what you do my guess though is just definitely his lack of pro experience won't help him at the start but he'll figure it out he'll he'll, he'll come to him maybe two months a season three months a season that's when he starts to really shine so that's my projection there yeah, I, I think if you know what I do, if I'm Kevin Adams, if I had just if I had just control of the team, I think I trade UPL, and then I sign like Frederick Anderson or Antti Ranta, someone like that who's like not a total threat to to completely take the job and block Levi, but someone who's like a steady hand and can be the veteran, something like that. Okay, I like that. All right, next one: Who will the Calgary Flames' next head coach be? Yeah, this is an important question. Uh, and again, it could happen in any day. We, we could be hearing it, you know, depending on when you're listening to the show, they may be naming their coach. Who knows what Craig Conroy is going to do, but it's very important for fantasy because it's really going to affect the way the team plays. We saw what Daryl Sutter did to Jonathan Uberdo in particular. He's the main case study and Nazem Kadri as well, but especially Uberdo playing under Sutter completely changed him as a player. Uberdo, he drops from 115 to 55 points. And I think if Calgary ends up going with more of an offensive minded coach, you could see a major boomerang effect and you could see Uberdo go back to being quite an impactful fantasy player. On the other hand, if Calgary goes with a more defensive-minded coach, that could be good news for Jacob Markstrom. Uh, I know he had a bad year but in, in, and in a good defensive system, but I still think overall you're better off with a good defense in front of you. If Calgary hires a more offensive-minded coach, then there might be even less help for Markstrom too, so it could hurt his chances to bounce back. So to me, that's a real swing team in terms of what type of direction they go with the style of coaching. Yeah, I, I said from the pretty early part of the season when they were really faltering, that team just needed a coaching change no matter what. I I understand that he did pretty well uh, last year and things like that, but uh, two years ago, I guess. But, you know, that was a coaching change that just didn't make any sense to me. An old school coach trying to get the young guys, that a talented young core to really get going. And it didn't really work this season. And we saw that. Uh, I think a new voice, I don't know who... I don't know if it even matters who it is necessarily. I feel like this team's still going to be headed in the right direction. They're too good of a group to have just missed the playoffs like that. And I do expect Huberto to bounce back. I, I don't know if I can truly trust Markstrom anymore. At first, it was, a okay, he had a, a bad playoff run last season, and then it turned into a whole bad season, and that concerned me a little bit. But they got Dustin Wolf coming in. They've got some young guys that if they actually use them and they're not just making fun of them, I think could actually be something that's very valuable for this group. Yeah. They've got some talent there and it's, you know, not, not a super deep prospect core, but you look at how good the, the, the Wranglers were this year and mm -hmm. they just had a ton of scoring options and a great goalie and it's a good defense. Like they could use those guys to their advantage instead of, again, trying to figure out which number they were in a press conference. So when, when you look at that, I think that this team's got a good future. Uh, again, it might not even necessarily matter who specifically the coaches. I do expect them to go to the playoffs, but you know, at the same time, this is not the same coaching market. It was a year ago. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. And what concerns me most is the, the uh, I think Gerard Gallant's name was was thrown out there as potential fit for Calgary. But to me, that's stylistically, you're going too close to another Sutter type. I, I don't know if that's going to help fix the culture in Calgary. So I think they need more of a positive voice. And I don't know if you're going to go retread. Maybe <laughs> you dust off Bruce Boudreaux again. I'm not sure. 
or just bring in someone who is completely fresh and is a first-time NHL head coach. We'll see what happens. Carl Taylor, Milwaukee Admirals, interesting option there. All right, this one, Sounds of Sharks. Will the Sharks finally trade Eric Carlson? That was obviously one of the biggest topics of the trade deadline. Didn't happen, and uh, he's going to be a very tough player to trade, even if he wins the Norris Trophy this year, and whether or not you agree with that. Uh, but, you know, with, with him, I think that's going to be a really tough guy to move. Yeah, with Frank Cervalli's trade target board, which was on Daily Faceoff last week, he did mention that, you know, this is the best opportunity that Mike Greer is going to get to move Eric Carlson coming off a 100-point season. First defenseman to do it in 31 years. Uh, I think it's not necessarily impossible because he's reached that peak value compared to picture what Eric Carlson's value was a year ago. He was the injury-prone guy who was completely a shell of what he used to be. Now, all of a sudden, it's, oh, my God, he's having coming off a legendary season he was healthy so he still actually has a lot to offer a team if he can be healthy again next year so i do think there is a window where maybe the sharks drop their asking price a little bit and a team finds a way to make the money work if it's going to happen i think it's this off season so we'll see uh, but it's a very fantasy relevant question because you could make a case that eric carlson has never played on a truly elite team in his career, if you look at the best Ottawa Senators teams he played for, none of them were really dominant teams. Yes, there was the one team that made it to the conference final in 2017, but they were more of an underdog kind of Cinderella type team. He's never played on a team that was an absolute powerhouse. Even when he became a San Jose Shark, that team is on its way down as well. So what if a major contender goes out and gets Eric Carlson? I don't know what that can mean for his fantasy value. He's never played with like elite scores all around him right in his career, elite scores in their primes. So that could really change his fantasy ceiling. On the other hand, if you're more of a pessimist, you could say, actually, Carlson was just padding his stats all season long. He had nothing else to play for. So he was going for broke, which is why his defensive numbers were so bad. He was selling out for the 100 points. That might be true as well. But either way, it's going to be very interesting to see where he goes. Because I do think if he's a shark again going into next season, the odds of repeating what he did this year are pretty low. But I'd be very intrigued if you end up seeing him just on a dominant team. My guess here is just a total statistical thing is I think he's going to fall to 72 points next year. And, and I think that'll still be really good. Again, this is a guy that played a lot of meaningless hockey this year. And a lot of times when you get meaningless hockey, you'll get these offensive defensemen that'll go out there and just put up a lot of points and forget to play in their own zone. And, I'm a little worried about that in the NHL draft with a few guys, but you look at, uh, was it Eric Gustafson a couple years ago with the Blackhawks goes and gets 56 points. And it's like the Blackhawks were a terrible team. It's like, how did that happen? And it was because, you know, just again, a lot of meaningless points. Now points are points. It's good to get those. Um, but I think if he goes somewhere, a better team, he's not going to be having to play the same minutes. He's not going to have the same responsibility. And, you know, they might actually have a defenseman who could help them out there. So I don't know if he's going to get the same points, but I think that, you know, he's going to be, if he is traded, a valuable piece. It's just, you know, San Jose is going to eat a lot of that contract and it's got to be worth it. But I think Carlson's not done. I think, again, 72 points would be great. Uh, a number I just completely made up out of the air. Um, but I think that it's someone where it would still be a guy that would bring a lot of value wherever he went. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Like, I could see a scenario in which Carlson ends up overrated in fantasy if he's traded. Like, if he's traded to a team that has a lot of hype around it, like, let's say just, I don't know, I'll, just, I'll throw an example. Let's say Pittsburgh goes out and gets him, something like that. Just there'll be a hype factor that I think will make him overdrafted. So that's why this is an important question. Just depending on where he goes, it's going to make him a potential landmine in fantasy drafts next year. And you just got to hope that the people you're playing against in fantasy are not thinking uh, about regression whatsoever. They got to think that this is guys on the up and up, but maybe they think this guy is peaking now and, and he's yeah. maybe may, may even actually go higher. Who knows? <laughs> I doubt it. All right. Next question. Who will play with Connor Bedard? Uh, Chicago Blackhawks, you know, they need some veteran talent. Uh, right now, you look at that roster, and uh, Bedard is probably the best player there uh, already, and he hasn't been drafted yet. Uh, so that's a team that needs some help. And from talk, just, you know, a lot of people in Chicago are just like, we're not sure what they're going to do, but they kind of have a lot of cap space. They got basically a f freedom to do whatever, and they got the best bargaining chip in the entire NHL right now. And, you know, yeah, they're, they're, yeah, it's not hard to convince players to go play with Connor McDavid. It wasn't hard to convince people to play with Sidney Crosby. It will definitely not be hard to convince people to play with, with Connor Bedard. Uh, and, you know, you're playing for a franchise that, you know, has a deep history and, and of a good fan base. So, uh, again, interesting. But what do you, what do the Blackhawks do here? Yeah, I think this is another crucial question for fantasy in more ways than one. From Bedard's perspective, you know, we've both 
made it clear on the show that we're very bullish on him for next season. I think we both would take him in roughly the second round. I'm expecting him to be a point per game player at worst as a rookie. I think he's that good, but he does need some people around him because right now I was looking at the projected lines. It's like maybe you play Lucas Reichel on the wing, Andreas Athanasiu, Taylor Radish. Like it's bad. It is bad. The options are absolutely barren right now. And I do think even though the Blackhawks were obviously in full mega tank mode, I think now that they have Bedard, I don't think they're going to structure their team for another tank job. I think they're willing to move in some pieces now. And like you said, Stephen, is this an attractive market? Even though Chicago as a franchise has been villainous in its behavior in the last decade and a half, in terms of just if you're a player and you're going to a team that has a new, a clean slate now, technically, Chicago is a fun city, like you said, great fan base. So it's an appealing place to go. And of course, a team that's building around Bedard. I don't think Chicago's going to have too much trouble attracting players. The other side of the coin is whichever players do go to Chicago, that's intriguing for their fantasy value because if they end up playing with Connor Bedard, it could really spike as well. So if I just think of an example, let's say let's say Chicago signs Ivan Barbashev. Well, he goes to Chicago and he becomes a first-line player and he's always with Connor Bedard. His fantasy value goes through the roof. Maybe he has a career year. So got to watch carefully, not just for Bedard's value, but for whoever's going to be playing with him. You know, the one thing that was I was kind of hoping for would have been a chance for Patrick Kane to play with him. And, you know, Patrick Kane's a guy that came in with a lot of attention on him. Obviously, everything there, there were some off-ice things in the beginning of that career. But, you know, not that I expected Bedard, but it's like that's a guy who went through everything. He, uh, you know, a highly titled goal scorer. Uh, very highly rated prospect, one of the best players to ever come out of the U.S. national development team. Uh, so that was a guy there that could have been a, a decent mentor for him. Um, obviously, they traded him away, but you know maybe the fact that he's probably going to have to take a lesser salary to play next season because of his long-term injury um, might be kind of interesting to see if they end up getting him back. But you know, it seems like he kind of wrote that off, though. He says he doesn't really want to go to a a rebuilding team, and I get it. You know, people will say, "Oh, well, he's won a Stanley Cups," but that was a while ago. In, in mm-hmm. hockey players, like the you know, you always want to win. And there's got to be some cer- very certain circumstances to continue wanting to play somewhere that is not going to be competitive. And he's had his chance. He got traded to the Rangers. He knows what sort it's of like to be back on a competitive organization. I don't think he's going to want to just, you know, give everything up. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do because there's not a lot of high-profile uh, free agents this year. They do have a lot of draft picks. If they want to make a trade, you know, they could do something there. And they really got a really nice prospect pool. So I do think the Blackhawks have a solid future uh, compared to teams like Buffalo, Anaheim. I think they're still a little farther away, but they'll get there. And they've got a good group. And Bedard's going to really push things forward. So it'll be interesting. All right. This one is... Uh, oh, uh, Let's go with... Uh, I lost the graphic for this one. But basically, which team gets Connor Hellebuck? Yeah, of course. That's probably the most obvious, straightforward question out of our burning ones that we've come up with you today, listeners. Um, but of course, it's just, hey, we have to talk about it. It's a crucial question for the offseason, and it could really affect Connor Hellbuck's value. You could say right now his situation with Winnipeg, it's been pretty consistent. He's always on a team that's decent or almost always on a team that's decent, never really dominant except for maybe one season, Uh, but also a team that doesn't really play great defense, never really has. He's a goalie that tends to thrive with a lot of work. So where he goes next, it could change his value for better or worse. He could go to a better defensive team and a team that's better in the standings that could up his win total, but not every goalie likes to have a small workload. Some goalies do better when they're getting lots of shots and Connor Hellebuck is someone who prides himself on being a workhorse. So if he goes to an elite team defensively and he gets a smaller workload, it actually could affect his rate stats. He might not be as sharp. So there's kind of a give and take there. And to me, it's going to be something to watch really closely. Depending on where he goes, he could be the number one fantasy goalie going into next season, or he could drop down the board. So that's a really crucial situation to watch in the weeks to come. And there's a pretty strong chance that the Winnipeg Jets trade him. I was going to say, like, that's the huge talk that he won't be a Jet next year. Do you see a situation in which he stays? I think it depends on the asking price. And, of course, you know, he only has one year left. So the suitors out there, are they going to want to treat him as a one-year rental? If they do, that's going to lower their their price in terms of what they're willing to give up. And is Hellebuck willing to sign an extension after a trade? That would affect the price. That would drive the price up a lot. Teams have to pay more to get him. So there are a lot of moving parts there. It's not like he's guaranteed to be under team control for the long term. And that could be part of the process of making a deal happen. So I don't think it's a guarantee by any means. There's a chance that Winnipeg goes into next season and they have him. And then he ends up being a big time rental at the deadline. 
That said, renting starting goalies the deadline is usually a dangerous game to play. Often it can take goalie a while to get a rhythm with his team, with his defense. I know that's what happened famously to Ryan Miller in St. Louis. There are exceptions, of course. Eunice Corpusala was really good after the deadline, but he kind of lost it in the playoffs. Overall, though, typically you're better off having your starting goalie from the beginning of the season because you got to build that chemistry with your defense core. Yeah, I agree. And the other thing about it is, you know, goalies are a huge risk. And I don't feel like Winnipeg, because of that, Winnipeg, if they trade him, is not going to get the full value out of him. Uh, you know, you look at him last year, or this season, he was great, awesome season. The year before that was not so great. He's had this, you know, back and forth, thing from time to time you know statistically his like his i know goals against average is not a great stat but it's like that's never been a, a strong suit for him uh you know say percentage it's kind of up and down from year to year but we do know that when it comes to big game goalies when it comes to guys who can just play a ton of games and get the job done he's one of the best goalies in the league he's kind of old school like that and a guy who can still play 60-ish games and still be pretty good um but there's just so much risk around you know trading for a guy like that you know he's 30 how many more good years does he have you know if it's for one year i don't think it matters uh but it's got to be a team that's really ready to go and ready to take that next step and you know i almost wonder like could that be carolina it could be and i wrote about that yesterday this is there again i'm going to keep plugging our stuff there's a story on daily faceoff on potential fits for hellebuck the carolina hurricanes are on there i personally think they're better off chasing it forward but yes they're going to have the vacancy with frederick anderson and, and anti ranta both technically UFAs right now. They're going to have to pair someone with Pyotr Kochekov next season. So theoretically, there's a chance it could be Hellebuck. I will say too, I, I think that Hellebuck's game is very much built to age well. It's the opposite of, let's say, a Jonathan Quick who relied on his athleticism. Yes. And I did. I, I spoke to Hellebuck this year, did a story, an interview with him, and he talked about the idea that he's like, in his, his own opinion, the least flexible goalie in the league. He relies so much on smarts and positioning. And as he put it, I'm going to paraphrase here, but he said something like, you know, if you look at the saves I make on highlight reels, it's not like I'm making these crazy stretching saves. He's already arriving at the right place. So that's very much Ed Belfour-ish to me, and that's a goaltender who aged unbelievably well, was still good like when he was 40 years old, right? So I think Hellebuck's profile is that of someone who, who can be good for a long time. You know, I don't really like to compare specific goalie styles to each other, but watching Aiden Hill in these playoffs is another guy that doesn't rely on athleticism and someone that, you know, there was really high hopes for him when he came into Arizona and, you know, Arizona, just it, the situation didn't really work out and he got thrown into a tough one there in San Jose. Now he's kind of in the best spot of his career. I think Aiden Hill still got a good future and that's not based off just off this playoffs. The playoffs are helping, but it just, we've seen enough of him, I think show these nice little, like flashes of brilliance that he could do something, but he's a guy that isn't super reactive. He's kind of just strong positionally lets his size do the work, things like that. And I think that that is another guy that could be interesting to see. Uh, all right. Last uh, Brandon question here. Will the Boston Bruins top two centers retire? And that's an interesting one with David Krejci and Patrice Bergeron. It was unsure that either of those two guys would even be there this season. It seemed like this is it. Like, let's see what they could do. And then they fizz it all completely in the first round. Do they come back or do they just say they've had enough? Yeah, it's a very important question just in terms of how it affects the other Bruins players. Uh, of course, you know, they were thrilled to get Patrice Bergeron back for another season. He's probably going to win another Selkie trophy. And I think David Krejci returning after his one-year hiatus in the Czech Republic was crucial because it gave Boston that deadly second line. Great chemistry with Pavel Zaka and David Pasternak. You formed the check line. Boston was able to break up the perfection line and have really two excellent scoring lines. And it led to just so many Bruins forwards that had good fantasy value this season. But if you don't have even one of them or both of them, then what's the support system going to be for David Pasternak, for Jake DeBrus, for Taylor Hall? It goes on and on. Pavel Zaka maybe has to move to play the center position. I'm not sure. Does Charlie Coyle have to move up the lineup? Do the Bruins have to make a trade for a JT Miller, a Kevin Hayes? We'll see what happens. But I think the fantasy value of the wingers in the Bruins lineup really hangs in the balance of what they do with their center position this offseason. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's a couple questions about what this team does after this year. Um, you know, what do they do with goaltending? And if, if these two centers leave, does that kind of spice things up to that change the how this team looks uh going forward so you know is this 
like I don't know, I don't want to say rebuild, but there's been some people wondering like if those two centers go and you don't get a chance to replace them, do you have the depth to continue going? It was this truly a one and done, like now we have to really restart things? I don't think so, but like I don't know, that's something you gotta consider, right? I think so, yeah. And I mean, I'll forever forever be roasted for the take because last year I did like Bruins for Bedard. But that was before, like, I don't think they had traded for Zaka yet, and Bergeron Krejci had not resigned. And uh, Marshawn was injured with having surgery. So was Charlie McAvoy. But again, you could be in a situation this summer where, like you said, you lose your top two centers. And it's not like Boston has a robust farm system. You have Fabian Lysel, but there's a big drop-off in terms of farm talent. And that's just the way it goes. It's a cycle, right? You're a dominant team for a long time. You don't have as many high-end picks. And you don't have as much help coming, right? So if the Bruins veteran leadership group kind of crumbles, yeah, there's not a lot of help coming from within. So to me, they're a team that has quietly a wide range of outcomes this offseason. Okay, I guess that's that for our... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burning question. So you want to do tip of the week? Let's do the tip of the week. So we're going to stick with the off-season theme. And you hinted it already on the show, Stephen, that the UFA class of 2023, it's it's weak, man. It's it's one of the weaker crops I've seen in a long time. And it's funny, our pal Frank got a lot of heat earlier uh, in the season when he did a preliminary list and Michael Bunting was the top UFA. People were like, oh my God, what are you talking about? And his answer was like, hey, who else? Who's going to get paid yeah. more? And Maybe the values have shifted a little bit. Bunting obviously had a rough playoffs with his disciplinary problems, et cetera, et cetera. The lists have shifted. But overall, it's a weak crop. And to me, this is advice for if you're in a keeper league, if you have anybody who's a pending UFA who's relatively prominent. So let's say Michael Bunting, Vladimir Tarasenko, could be Tyler Bertuzzi, Damon Severson. I'd consider selling high on all of them because they're, I would say none of these guys are needle movers that necessarily are going to have dominant years if they go to a new environment. Uh, and I don't, I just think there's no guarantee they're going to maintain the current fantasy value that they even have. So Michael Bunting is a good example, right? He spent a good portion of his time at the Leafs playing with elite players. He's got that name brand now as a former Leaf, and maybe he goes to a weaker team where he's going to play higher in the lineup, but his linemate quality is going to go down. So if you're in a keeper league where you're allowed to make transactions during this time of the season, I would consider selling high on pretty much any UFA. That also includes someone like Tyler Bertuzzi coming great off, coming up fresh off a great playoff run, but very injury-prone player. Depending on where he signs, he might not necessarily be playing high in the lineup. So again, I'd be careful. I would sell high on almost every UFA. Okay, I like that one. Uh, now, let's, let's just do, take it from a journalist perspective here because obviously you've covered a lot of uh of free agencies and a lot of trade deadlines is you know i guess for an average person who's maybe watching out in their backyard maybe they're swimming maybe they're just kind of following along on their phone and they're at the beach especially here in canada this year being on canada day again i guess what's your view of covering a day like that is it fun you know it's a lot of signings a lot of change but it's also you know really busy i think that free agency day is 
you could argue more intense and more predictable than trade deadline day. Trade line, deadline day, there's just the unknown factor. You don't know how many deals are going to happen, and then they come in waves, and then it could be really quiet. Whereas free agency day, at least going in, you know there's guaranteed action. There will be lots of signings. That's the way it goes. Players have to find new teams. So I think it's a much safer bet in terms of if you're sitting at home to watch the coverage that day. Free agency day is a better bet because you will get players signing. You also get players signing extensions. That's the sleeper element because you've got guys like Austin Matthews that are eligible July 1st to sign an extension. So often you get big name players signing their deals on July 1. And sometimes you get trades on July 1st too. So to me, I think the trade deadline gets a little bit overrated. And I think July 1st actually gets a little bit underrated in terms of the action. I agree. This trade deadline this year is extremely boring, but I liked it that way. But it was the lead up. It was those two weeks of you don't know if someone's going to be traded and you always have to pay attention. And trades will happen at stupid hours. You know, mm-hmm. unlike free agencies, we know we're not going to see a player sign for a different team at four o'clock in the morning because that's impossible um, for uh, on the day of, of, of starting it. But, you know, the good news about free agency is the first day is super busy and then it dies off. And that's by right. July 4th, everyone's gone. It's it's done. And that part's kind of nice to a point until we get really bored in the summer. But <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah, it's it's there's two different ways of looking at it. Like for, you know, it, it's it's definitely I think it was nice when it wasn't on July 1st. It was nice when it was kind of a completely different day because, you know, you could spend the holiday here in Canada doing things with family or friends, whatever, especially if they're all going out and doing stuff, especially, you know, last year we're starting to like things are starting to open up again. It would have been nice to do things and it was good. But, you know, this year it's just kind of like, you know, it's. the fact is that there's not a ton of free, like a super exciting free agent might make trades more interesting. So I think there's some interesting elements to a year where it's not a huge market. And I'm happy uh, that the early, like from a work standpoint, I'm happy that the early negotiation window was removed because now you don't have that crazy leaking bonanza. Whereas when the early negotiation window was happening, basically before noon on July 1st, you just had every major signing was already leaked. Which was by... nice though. That was nice. Like you, you could pre-write it. You got to write. It's like, that's like for, for the non-journalists here, being able to pre-write things is really nice. Yeah, <laughs> if that's, you... that's fair. You're, that's a good point. Yeah. So, so I guess there's pros and cons. Yeah. But at the same time, there's so much to track right away. And then when it was the negotiation window and then it all happened like five minutes into free agency, that sucks. Oh, that was an unforgettable day. I remember <laughs> because we had a couple guys at the Hockey News who were off and it was me and one other guy at the time, the first day, the first year that they, they, they did the early window and no one knew what to expect. And it was like, I remember I just like didn't go to the bathroom for four hours at one point. And I was like, my bladder was, was killing me because I just couldn't stop typing. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, depending depending on my Wi-Fi, I'll be doing a by the pool to this year. So we'll see. All right. Uh, I guess that's it for uh, all those questions. And uh, it's time for best bet. Yeah, the best bet. Obviously, our options are relatively limited. You got two teams left playing right now. Uh, and I'm going to do something a little different here. So the odds have been changing, so you'll have to check ProLine Plus, whether it's the app or going online. But there has been this week an ability to bet on not just the series winner, but the series winner and the number of games. And you know what? Based on what I've seen the first two games, I kind of like the idea of betting on a Vegas sweep at this point. I think the Florida Panthers are out of steam. I think this is a team that has been outplayed by its opponent for a lot of this postseason. It was relying a lot on goaltending. I said last week on this show that the 10-day layoff was a big problem because you're going to lose the momentum you got from Sergei Bobrovsky. And so far, it does indeed appear that he's turning into a pumpkin. I think that momentum is lost. And the Panthers, to me, look exposed. I think Vegas looks like a far superior team. And yes, they've won both their games at home, but it's not like the Florida Panthers are known for their powerhouse home ice advantage, right? Uh, So I don't know. I just get this feeling that Florida looks outclassed in the first couple games and you you have this happen like I, I haven't done the math but i i wonder if historically there are more short series in the stanley cup final compared to other rounds i just have a lot of memories of short series in the final uh because you just have two teams that haven't faced each other much during the season you have no idea how to really value them until they go up head-to-head against each other and so far i think this vegas looks like a much superior team they've gotten the better goaltending of course maiden hill and they're just kind of bullying the Panthers. So I don't know. I kind of like the idea. Because again, you want to get some value back. So betting on a sweep with the score 2-0 in the series, I kind of like it right now. Yeah, I do too. Um, I did pick the Panthers to win this series. So there's that. But I think the way that it just they look flat. They just don't look ready to go. And after two games, I'm just I'm I I I'm falling 
out of love with that group. You know, last night was kind of funny. I, I, I was kind of just hoping for more misconducts because it seemed like anytime a player looked at another guy, they were getting kicked out. And I thought that was hilarious. That was some poor refing to begin with. And I never say that. That might be the first time I've ever said on camera, the refing was bad in a game. Because <laughs> I, I, there's a lot more factors into it. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it's like, Oh, that was weird. I, I just think the, the, the Panthers are going to be happy to go home, but Vegas, you know, they had a shorter time off. They seem to be able to ride that momentum a little bit. And, you know, they've been hearing about this miracle run for Florida, but it's like Vegas has been better in general, this entire playoffs. So I, I, I just, you know, don't bet against Vegas, I guess. Yeah, that seems to be the way to go right now. We'll see what happens uh, when the series concludes in September of 2025. <laughs> now a word from our sponsor, ProLine Plus is not just another sportsbook being the only sportsbook that gives 100% of the profits back to Ontario. ProLine has been your local trusted sportsbook for over 30 years, now offering Ontario sports fans more ways to play in-store, online, or take the game on the go with the ProLine app. With your favorite sports and events right at your fingertips, download the ProLine app and bet in-app with ProLine Plus today or head over to ProLinePlus.ca to learn more. It would be fun to pre-record that, but then have me also lip-sync it for the video <laughs> feed just to see if I if I could lip sync my own voice. All right, yep. Stephen, looks like what do we have next? It's time to do some some prospect talk. And this is a, a player that got a lot of buzz when you wrote about him on Daily Faceoff last week. Yes, and that prospect is Oliver Moore. And I guess, you know, it helps having the lead be best comparison for Oliver Moore, Max Verstappen. And the headline comparing him to an F1 car. And, you know, I think that's something that is you know, I had fun with that one. Um, but with when it comes to Oliver Moore, the guy is the fastest skater in the draft. And, you know, talking to some scouts, like how does he compare to other fastest skaters in the last since, since McDavid? Because he was kind of seen as the gold standard of speed. And, uh, you know, it was McDavid. There was Jack Hughes. And then we're talking about Oliver Moore. This guy's just got so much straight line speed. He's very good on transition. And the work ethic is incredible. And, you know, I think it's worth noting that all the talk this year about USA's top line at the U.S. National Development Team this year of, of Gabriel Perot, Will Smith, and Ryan Leonard, you know, whenever they were brought up, to coach Dan Hughes, Hughes would go out and mention Oliver Moore, like as a guy to like another guy to keep an eye out. And we look at the points, he was like, I think what, 30 or 40 points clear of the next highest scoring guy on the team after the top scores. Hmm. That's impressive. So, you know, with him, some scouts believe, you know, he might have the best potential out of, um, out of, all the guys on that team, which is interesting because Smith's kind of seen as that top prospect, but there's a lot of scouts that I know that don't have Smith as their top prospect and, and has Moore there. I think from an offensive potential, Moore's a good player. I don't think he's going to be like going out there getting 70, 80 points. I'm thinking like 50 points is competitive, is really good, but he brings a lot else to the table, um, whether it be his defensive play, whether it be his, 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 you know, skill. So from real life perspective, I think he's very valuable, but he's kind of the guy that everyone expects to be very consistent every year. You can kind of, I don't know how to explain it other than from a points perspective, maybe Ray Whitney near the end, as stupid as that might sound. It's a guy that you could always just rely to get a bunch of points every year, no matter what. Uh, and, and I think with him, it's just, you know, this is a guy that I, I think might even have more on tap potential. So he's going to go to the NCAA. I think that's going to be very good for him. Maybe to add a bit more muscle and let's see what he could do when he's kind of, would he could take the spotlight as opposed to being like the fourth big guy on the team. And I think that could be cool. Um, but with, with Moore, I think that there there's a lot of potential here for him to be the best player on this U S development team. Um, when we're looking back at it a couple of years from now. So, um, you know, even though I'm not really making it sound like he's going to be super offensive, I think that just everything there will give him the opportunities to make that happen. Cool. I, I'm, I'm pretty excited because I, I haven't gotten to see a ton of him. Obviously you've gotten to see a ton of him. Uh, but just based on the way his speed is described, it sounds like he's going to be an exciting player to watch. I just want to see how much that plays up when you see him at the NHL level and if the speed is going to pop as much as scouts believe it will. So very exciting. Uh, Steven, we got a couple listener questions, I think, from some of our usual suspects. What do we have this week? Yep, this one's from Jerry Oakland Golden Seals. Hey, Jerry. Hello, Matt, Stephen. With Zegers, McTavish, Gauthier, Zellweger, and potentially Fantilli, are the Ducks in the next powerhouse from a fantasy perspective? In other words, are they the future Buffalo Sabres? And could Nathan Gauthier become fantasy relevant next year? I'm just going to quickly say I don't think 
that yet, but I do think, you know, from hits and blocks, he will be very valuable in the future. But anyways, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think overall, I feel like Steven would agree with you, Jerry, because I know, Steven, you've written about how you believe the Ducks have a really bright future. So I think there's a comparison to make there, uh, building around Zegers, Adam Fantilli, Mason uh, McTavish as well. That's going to be really exciting. You have some great D prospects, of course, Zellweger and Mintukov as well. And still, people forget about Jamie Drysdale. He's still yeah. really young. He's going to be back. Uh, I, my question is, will it be this season? So will the Ducks be this coming season's version of Buffalo? I'm not totally sure. I think it maybe is going to be the year after. I actually think Arizona is the team to watch that could be uh, the, the team that makes a leap like Buffalo. I think Anaheim maybe needs one more year to add more talent and just have some of their guys mature a little bit. So I don't know for sure it's going to be an exact copy of what Buffalo was, but there's undoubtedly a lot of potential there. Uh, in terms of Goche, to me, what excites me about him, yes, definitely banger league. I think there's going to be big potential for hits as well, a mixture of hits and offense, but also his build, right? He's kind of a, a just a wall of a man. He's already built like a man, not like a child, right? So why that's important is he's not the traditional prospect. Oh, once he fills out, he's already kind of filled out, right? He's, he's just someone who freight trains his opponents. And that bodes well for him already having the strength to be NHL ready and making a jump. So I do think he's someone to watch really closely in camp. Yeah, for, for the Ducks, you know, well, I did write about their future being kind of something that's going to be really impressive to watch. But I think, you know, it, they, next year won't be their year. Um, but they'll start moving up. I think the one question for me is, what are they doing with John Gibson? Because I know we're talking about the young core here, but Gibson last year, at least in my league, was one of the best goalies because he faced so many shots. And if you if you track shots in your league, that's super valuable. But I don't know if that's going to be the case going forward with the Ducks as their defense continues to improve. A full year, Jamie Drysdale should eliminate at least a few of those shots a game. Um, but, you know, at the same time, Gibson rumored to want out. And if that's the case, okay, now that's quite interesting. We knew that was kind of the rumor last year, but does he want to be part of this rebuild? I don't think so. Now, they've that would be something where we we're talking earlier about like the Buffalo starting goalie situation. Like maybe if the Sabres were to trade Eric Comrie, there's an option there. Um, and, and, you know, Daniel Valadash from, from, from Calgary, that's another guy to watch. Um, so there's a couple guys that could be making the ducks. Interesting. Connor Hellebuck would make that a lot of definitely interesting. Uh, he knows how to play in front um, behind some subpar defense. Uh, but, you know, I think that this is a group that in the next couple of years are going to be really good. Uh, I think that, they're definitely closer than Columbus or uh, Anaheim or sorry, Columbus or uh, Chicago at this point. I think Chicago's got a good prospect pool, but they're, it's going to be, a, they need a lot to make that work as well as like with Anaheim, you know, Troy Terry came in a couple of years ago and was supposed to be this big part of this, the future, which included Max Jones, Maxine Comtois and Sam Steele. I, I mentioned those guys because I was looking for my hockey card binder and looking at how much I bought all those cards thinking they'd be good. Unfortunately, they did not, except for Troy Terry. Uh, but he was not the guy I thought would be the number one player. I was kind of banking on it being Sam Steele. Um, anyways, so you, they've got some remnants of their previous good young core still there. And then they've got this young group that's coming up right now. I think that it's going to be really good. Just not next year. I think you got to give them a bit of time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, all right, that's that question. And this one comes from Ranton and Raven. Huberto was a first rounder, and Markstrom was top three goalies off the board in the last draft I was in. Ouch. Uh, both are due for a hell of a bounce back, but there's probably some tentative drafters now. Where would you be comfortable drafting either of them? It's fascinating because it seems like the fantasy community is just really stressing over the flames. I feel like we've gotten more questions about Uberdo and Markstrom than about anyone else yeah. in the last few months. And often we have to reject them. We say, sorry, we talked about it last week's show. Uh, to me, I'm looking at Uberdo as something between the two previous seasons. So I don't think we're ever going to see him at 115 points again, but I don't think we're going to see him at 55 points again. I think he's going to be something like a point per game player. I think it's safe if you value him expecting 75 or 80 points. Like I said earlier on the show, it could depend on the coaching hire, but that's a rough estimate to me, which to me puts him in top 50-ish, give or take, would be a fair way to value him. So if you're in a 12-team league, it could be third, fourth round pick, maybe the fifth round, even if you want to let him slide a little more. Uh, I'm less confident in Jacob Markstrom. So it's partially because the goaltending position is so fickle. He was an elite fantasy netminder going into this year, but it was on the, on the back of one season, really, right? He was a Vezina Trophy finalist 2021-22, but that was really only the one great season he's ever had. His career save percentage is 909. So are we sure 
he's going to bounce back? I don't know 100%. And like I said earlier in the show, it could depend on what the defensive scheme is going to be in the next coaching hire. So to me, I'd say top 100 for Jacob Markstrom. You have to also have to factor in that Dustin Wolf is going to be breathing behind his neck. And if, if Calgary trades Dan Vladash, then if you dra- draft Jacob Markstrom, you're going to want to handcuff him with Dustin Wolf because that's going to be a real threat to his playing time. So a little bit more risk for Markstrom than Huberto. Yeah, okay. Uh, I have to agree on there. I think, you know, with Huberto, I fully expect a, a really good comeback of Markstrom. It's just he might be running out of time here um, with other goalies coming up with the system. And, you know, you would hope that's, you know, motivation to get him really going. But for a goalie, you don't really need motivation to be good. So there's that. So, uh, yeah, that's that for the questions. Okay. We're going to finish it off, Stephen, with the starting lineup. I'm challenging you this week. And I want you to name your top six arenas to watch hockey in and you can interpret that any way you want it could be nhl but you're someone who frequents barns of all types so i'm gonna let that be completely open to interpretation for you what are your six favorite arenas to watch hockey in all right so obviously only ones i've been to because uh, i would love to say hc devils arena uh would be the best one for sure but i've never been there it's just you know watching european hockey is good i'll give one quick honorable mention to saint mike's arena uh in toronto uh, a classic barn you know very old, very cold, but you, it just it feels fun to be there. It feels like when, when that building's got people in it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, rumor has it the dinosaurs and Yammer Yager all used to play back in the day there. Uh, but you just look on the wall and you see all the guys that have played there. And some of them are like, okay, that's a funny player to highlight. But then you look and there's like actual legends and Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Uh, so number six, I'm going to say with Scotiabank Arena, you know. The one we've probably been to the most. I think, you know, it's a fine arena um, for modern day standpoint. I still think it holds up. Not a great press box. Um, but I think, you know, you can uh, just watching a ton of different events there, whether it be hockey, whether it be, uh, you know, the NBA, whether it be like monster trucks, whether it be concerts, you know, there's a lot of cool events that go there. I think it's a very solid venue. Uh, I think the fan base there is a little too quiet. That's why they're pretty low in my mall. Um, number five, ball arena with the Colorado Avalanche play just watching it last year was so cool especially when they you know the crowd went nuts with uh, all the small things but it was just a nice building you know it's nice when you when you when you're used to going to one building so often and then you start traveling and see these other buildings it's like there's so many cool elements of all of them uh and so that's what I like uh number four Key Bank Center in Buffalo uh, I'll be there in a couple of days for the the draft combine there in the Lacombe Center um you know I think that's you know it's maybe a bit of an older arena, but it's one that, you know, going to watching the world juniors there a couple of years ago, seeing the Sabres games, a good atmosphere in there. Um, you know, I think it's just, you know, overall solid. And I love their arena structure where they do have the NHL arena and then their junior rink slash college slash women's hockey rink attached to it. And that world junior in 2018, when they had them both together, I think was really cool. Um, so that's a good setup there. You have a really good opportunity to watch a lot of good hockey there, Buffalo. Uh, number three, the one I was probably most recent in, um, St. Jacob Arena in in Basel, just because it was like, that was old school. It was like, it, it was built in 2002, but it felt like it was in the 50s. And that's what I was going under the assumption in. It felt so old, but it had its character, you know, just full concrete seating in certain ends of the ice where people were just losing their mind. But seeing the crowds, like this is almost could be a placeholder for just Europe in general because european hockey fans are the best you know you see vegas and they got great crowds for the stanley cup final but they're not screaming the whole game they're not slovakian hockey fans they're not hungarian fans they're not swiss hockey fans it's like those are their own special thing and you see the world championship the crowds especially when lafayette was playing which is unbelievable so um, th- that would be number three number two is another scotiabank arena and that is scotiabank pond and that's one that um uh former colleagues ryan kennedy and, and ken campbell we've I've spent a lot of time with them at those ranks. It's where the OHL cup takes place. Um, It's a four arena pad and anyone that's watched minor hockey or followed the OHL draft and things like that. know that's, that's the arena to be in. You know, you can just walk between the two rinks. It's very easy to get 10,000, 15,000 steps between the two because you're going watching back and forth, back and forth, but just, you know, the action's good. Um, The arenas are pretty solid. Um, I do not like that there's netting all the way around, uh, especially if someone takes pictures. It's hard to take pictures through netting, so that's not a lot of fun. But I think that you know those are that's an arena that I just always happy to go to. Uh, a bit of a pain in the butt to get to because uh, you got to drive through every bit of traffic possible mm-hmm. in Toronto to get to it. But I like it. And then number one, you can't go wrong with the Bell Center, and you know 
admittedly, the only times I've seen games there were, you know, during the the, the Stanley Cup run a couple of years ago when they only had a couple thousand fans. But it didn't feel like there was a couple thousand fans. It was like it meant so much. But, you know, there's just something special about the way they do the pregame. And it just feels so important to be there. Um and then the crowd is awesome. They've got probably the closest feel to a European hockey fan base in the NHL, just having a good time the whole time, no matter what. Um, and just, you know, the history there, and everything, the building itself is really nice. It's really held up over the years. And I just, I can't go wrong there. And they, you know, people talk about the hot dogs they have for a reason. They're pretty good. So <laughs> I'd say those are, those are my favorite arenas to watch hockey games in. I like it. And I think objectively you chose the correct number one. And as someone who's been to, the Bell Center in its full form, it, it definitely lives up when it has all of its crowd as well. I think it's the loudest barn and it's got the best trajectory in terms of the way you're on top of the action. It's more straight yes. up and down. So you feel a little bit claustrophobic, which is kind of old school. Love that. I think Scotiabank Arena has the best sight lines for media. I think Staples Center, it's not Staples Center anymore. What's it called now? I forget. Is it, is it crypto? Is it crypto? Yeah, yeah, whatever it is now, I think has the worst sight lines. Uh, you're too far removed, but uh, yeah. I oh, love oh Hamilton. Hamilton, before they kind of shut that arena down, they made the press box. The story goes that the press box was built like after they opened the arena or like right after they built most of it. So it's like, if you've ever seen it, it's like it's angled down. And you actually like, if you were to hold a pencil and drop it, there would be concerned it would fall like towards like the crowd. And it's like, even if you just hold it right in front of you, like it's, it's a little scary, but it's so unique and you also have to do a catwalk kind of like in Calgary. So I think that part's kind of cool. Uh, I will say negative, like I enjoy my time in Calgary and living there and everything. I say negative experience setting up there though. <laughs> I'm not, not a fan of watching hockey games in that arena. Yeah. I can imagine, especially if you're, if anyone's afraid of heights, that's the ultimate uh, test Calgary saddled them, but eventually it's going to finally be changing. Well, that's it for this week's episode, Stephen. That was a great addition to the starting lineup, and we'll be back again later this month. We'll be talking more off-season as we're building up to what's going to be a crazy finish to the month of June. Thank you, everybody, for watching and listening. Thank you to Stephen. Thank you to our sponsor, ProLine Plus. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 